I just I don't understand this this love affair with the car. I think the car is a tool. I think it has the right and you know there's a right place and time for for using one. But I shouldn't be. Uh, I don't think anyone should think of their vehicle as their exclusive means of transportation. Play Normal Esports Studios in Bloomington. This is Pod BN. My name is Justin. And I'm Tyson. We are here with Mike McCurdy, founding board member and vice president of Bike Blono and chair of Connect Transit. Uh, before we get talking to Mike, we want to make sure we thank our sponsor. Oh, I'm doing this right? Yeah, I thought you were doing this. Okay. Uh, what would I say about Little Beaver Brewery? What can one say about Little Beaver Brewery? I'm glad we're not live. Uh, we want to make sure coming to mind. We want to make sure we thank our sponsor, Little Beaver Brewery. I had stopped by there just a few days ago, and the place was slammed. It's a great place to meet friends. They have ten beers on tap. They have free popcorn, food now for sale. Make sure you stop by and thank them for for supporting us. Uh, we appreciate it. So, for I, think, I think it's great you've got a, a brewery as a as a underwriter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been good to us. It's. Um, it's been a good relationship. We actually started that out because we had their brewer, Chad. I, I kind of thought there might be pints here, though. <laughs> you know, we all have a complimentary pint. We're, we're in negotiations. <laughs> Maybe that's on the renewal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, welcome. Welcome to Pod in. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, we usually like when we have guests on just to start off and let people get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about when you came to the community and some of the mm-hmm. things you're involved in? Because I, I mentioned Bike Blono and Chair Connect Transit. Talk about how you got involved in that, too. Yeah. So I've, I've been in the community since December. December of 91, so a while. I'm not sure when people that are native consider maybe maybe calling me a native at this point, but that's that's quite a few years. Um, and like most everyone else, I uh, drove to work. I lived in Bloomington and worked at Illinois State University at WGLT, so I often would um, drive, but then my boss um, at the time, Bruce Bergathon, I saw him getting on off and on a bus, and I thought, well, I could try that. So, I started I started using the bus, but pretty infrequently. Um, then I moved, bought a house in Normal, and uh, realized that it was close enough that I could easily bike to work. And it was a process. It, I didn't bike every day. I was a fair weather biker, and. Um, when it got to about 45 degrees, I just stopped biking because it was cold. Um, and so I ended up being on a town of normal, like the 2015, one of their, one of their far-reaching sure. vision, visioning sort of planning documents. And I, I ended up on the transportation committee. And it's February. We're meeting. And Mike Sublet, who's probably got 20 years on me, um, and Dan Stedman, who's older than I am, show up to that meeting on bicycle, on bicycles. And I thought, well, hell, if they're doing it, I can do it, right? right. So I started accumulating the gear um, and started biking more year-round and actually in, um, made a decision in um, the winter of 2008, 2009, is if I could get through that winter, I was going to give up my reserve parking spot at Illinois State University. So in February of 2009... I went into the ISU parking um, services office and um, said I wanted to, you know, give up my parking spot. And they said, oh, something wrong? No. I said, so where, where are you moving to? 
It's like, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm just not driving to work anymore. And it was like, it was a completely foreign concept to the student and the staff that were, it was like, this, you know, everybody turned their head and looked at me like, what is this guy doing? So do you get, do you get charged for that parking pass? Um, when you work there, or so yeah, so it was the reserve parking spot. I think when I left was almost four hundred dollars a year. Okay, so, so I just I jettisoned. You that. saw that as a four hundred dollars yeah, savings. Yeah, exactly. Um, now have I spent that four hundred dollars in gear and bikes easily? You know, <laughs> so it's I mean it's a but I like to bike so and I get my exercise through transportation, and um, so since two thousand nine, there have been rare occasions where I've actually driven to work, but that's usually on a weekend or when the weather's bad or I got to zip in and zip out really quick, but like Monday through Friday, sort of going to work, I've not driven since 2009. So were you primarily doing biking for transportation, or do you get into it for fitness as well, too? Well, like I said earlier, I get my exercise through transportation, yeah. so, but yeah, in the, in the when it's nicer out, I'll do longer trail rides, I'll use the trail to then get out of town and maybe do a 30-mile ride and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do enough of that. But that's I not what got you into it, though. No, what I... What I well, no, what I got, it was just trying to get to and around town, right? And the more I did it, the easier I found it, it easier I found it to be. And the more you bike, the shorter the distances sort of become. It's like, I used to think, oh, I'm never going to bike to downtown Bloomington from my house. That's way down there, right? Well, after you've done it a couple of times, you realize, well, it's not that big a deal. And I can get from my house to downtown Bloomington to my, I have a community garden plot, the corner of Mulberry and Roosevelt. I can get down there in 16 minutes. It's not that big a deal. So, and, and, and I get a nice trail ride out of it. You know, the Constitution Trail is beautiful. It's one of the jewels of the community. An observation I've had, and I wonder if you share it, is that short distances when you travel them by car seem further away than they really are, and long distances seem shorter. So, like, Champaign doesn't seem like it's that far away from here, but if I was ever to try to walk or bike there, that's... It'd be a long way. Yeah. That's an all-day trip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, if I'm just driving from Bloomington to normal when you're in your car, and then you think, like, hmm, could I walk that or could I bike that? It's like, oh, no, man, that's that's way too far. Then you actually do it, and you're like, it's kind of deceptive. It feels like you're going faster than you are, I guess, with sure. your car driving. So. I can I can bike from my house to my office at Illinois State University quicker than it took me driving, parking in a parking garage, going up three levels of that parking garage, go, walking back down three levels and walking across campus. I bike door to door. I actually use the handicap, the, the elevator and an automatic door, which is the ADA access to the building. You know, I hit the button, the door opens, I wheel my bike into the elevator and roll down the hallway to my office and park my bike in my office. So it's actually quicker for me to bike to work than it is to drive. Mm -hmm. And I find that true sometimes, um, you know, once you look at trying to figure out where to park, then if you can just park right in front with your bike, then that sometimes is quicker too. I did that too. I, so I just got my bike. It's been uh, this summer will be the third summer. So it would be three years in May-ish. Uh, and I actually took you <laughs> when I picked out my mm-hmm. bike because I knew nothing about bikes and you were the bike guy that I did know. Um, it's, but, all about, it's all about comfort and feel and what feels good for you. But, but I, th- I, I think, do you like your bike? I love my bike. Yeah, you, got it on, you got it on sale I too. You got a good deal on it. But I, I, to your point, I remember getting that bike home and thinking, I need to ride back down to um, Bloomington Cycle and Fitness mm-hmm. for something, for gear or something. And I thought, gosh, I don't know if I can make that. And I live over by Miller Park. <laughs> it's not now. It sure. seems ridiculous to me. It's such a, you know, it's a five-minute bike ride. Uh, but I thought how far that seemed to me uh, when I first got my bike. And now 
when it's nice out, I'm, I'm kind of like you were in the beginning. If, once it gets lower than 45, I put the bike away. But in the summer, I'm biking 30 to 60 miles a weekend. Right. And in the wintertime, I'm at least, say, may think here, four miles a day. I'm getting 20 miles at least a week yeah. on my bike, even in the worst weather. Um, January was tough. Um, not only was it really, really cold, because it was cold, the roads never thawed out. So the snow we got uh, was compacted by the cars. That sort of turned into ice. Then we got a, a couple of dustings of snow on top of that ice. And there was about a two-week stretch where I didn't bike. Um, we're a one-car household, so that puts me on the bus. Um, and Connect Transit has really sort of been a lifesaver this um, this winter because... Um, Probably um, quite literally to some people. Maybe, yeah, yeah, true. Especially when it's really, really cold to get on and warm up. But for me to get, just for me getting around, if it weren't for Connect Transit, I'd be paying, you know, twenty dollars for an Uber trip. That's way way outside the means of some people, and it's twenty dollars. I'd rather spend at Little Beaver. <laughs> so, I'm sure they appreciate and, and, and I think you appreciate the, I the, the sponsor I mention. I, I can do more name placements, but it's going to cost you money. <laughs> so let me, <laughs> around, how old were you when you made that change to say, I'm going to I'm gonna get rid of my car? Um, so I, I don't know what, is, this is 2019, so 46. Oh, to get rid of the car? That was um, three years ago. So uh, that's, see, I think that, I don't know, that surprises me. I think when we hear about um, this biking and busing and, and, and transportation as being more of a millennial thing, um, and, and you're kind of so I had a, found I, out I, later. So I had a, I had definite um, proof that we didn't need two cars. We had a, we had a Honda Element, which I loved, mm-hmm. and we had a really nice Infiniti, um, uh, crossover vehicle. I forget the uh, something, a G35 sure. or something. I forget what it was, but it was like the one that sort of has the, the cool bulbous front and it was a beautiful car. That car, uh, the Infinity, my wife liked to drive the, the Honda Element because it had a remote start on it so she could start it up, get it warm, and then drive home from right. her job. Um, and the Infinity stayed parked and it went dead six times in two winters because nobody drove it, right? So yeah. the battery never got recharged. And to, to, <laughs> to jumpstart that car six times, we have to roll it down a steep driveway into the street so we have level and it's cold and we're trying to jumpstart it. I just went, if we're, not, if we're not driving it enough to keep the battery charged, why do we have it? So I sold both vehicles on my own, paid off $4,000 in debt and then had enough money to pay cash for a new Subaru. So yeah. the car's paid for. The car, one car we have is paid for. Right. And we paid off some debt, and we're a one-car household. So we have half the number of tires, half the maintenance, you know. Gas, gas, everything, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So how do you feel How do you feel it is getting around in Normal and in Bloomington on your bike? Um, I get infrastructure-wise, how often do you run into places where mm. it's really hard to get through? And then also I'd say... Culture-wise, how knowledgeable or sensitive are people about um, the the needs of bikers? And sure. So I think there's a lot of ignorance. I'll take the last half of that question first. I think there's a lot of ignorance about um, whether or not cyclists belong on the road. I, you know what? I, one of the things I see is that motorists sort of freeze up when they see me sometimes. They don't know what to do. And instead of just treating me like another vehicle, um, 
it's like, oh, well, no, you go first, right? Or they, um, at, like, if, if I pull up to a four-way stop and I'm the last one there, the cars will type to wave me through, and I'll, like, put my foot down and just kind of go. That, that irritates me, and too. And it's like, so just treat me like another road user. That To keep the road, if everybody follows the rule, rules, it makes the roadway, the road place a more predict, roadway a more predictable place right. for everybody, right? So don't treat, don't treat me any differently. I try to follow the rules of the road. I don't always come to a complete stop, but neither do cars. Right. If you watch these, watch the cars, how often do the wheels actually stop? Yeah. They don't, right? They don't. So I'm rolling about as fast as I think a car does through an intersection, or as it stops and looks and then turns right. And it depends on the intersection too, right? I right. Mean, like, like, but I, what I don't do is just, and I see this in Uptown Normal, I don't just don't blow through a stop sign. Sure. Uh, that's, I'm asking to be killed. Right. You know? Yeah. But like when you're, when I'm in neighborhoods, I, you know, rolling through a stop sign, you know, slowing down, almost treating it like a yield. Yeah. Uh, it's an Idaho, it's called an Idaho stop. So, and there are some efforts in, in Illinois to get to, to adopt the Idaho stop. And basically and it originated in Idaho. It's, um, so it's not just a clever name. No. Yeah. So <laughs> you, an Idaho stop basically is you treat a stop sign like a yield sign. You treat a red light like a stop sign. Yeah. So you pull up to a red light, nobody's coming, you stop, you can go. If it's a stop sign, you can look both ways and kind of roll through it. And there are some studies that show that it's actually safer, um, if I remember right. I, I would assume it is. I, I don't know. I don't have the data. I want to so, say I read that on Strong Town or, or something along the way. So back to Tyson's question. Um, so there, I think there's some ignorance on the road. I don't run into a lot of outright hostility. Um, I I've been crowded. I think it's mainly ignorance um, but other my friends and other people have been um, and they've seemed to run into it more than than um, than I have um, and I think I'm just lucky um, so well, it'll be so, like people people um, like you're on the side of the road and they're getting way too close to you or even forcing you off the road you know I, I get you know I've had the get off the you know get your bike off the road yelled at me. I mean, I've had that happen, but they weren't crowding me at the same time, right? They were in a truck, weren't they? Oh, it's always a white pickup. It's <laughs> always, it's all, it always seems to be a white I pickup. Hate, I, I, I don't, guy. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is. The other thing is that um, I think when that does happen, cyclists have been come, become sort of numb to it, and they shouldn't. They should always stop, get a license plate, and report that person because if they're yelling at if they're yelling at that bicyclist, or if they're crowding that bicyclist, they've done it before and probably going to do it again. I think it's important to get that driver on the record. I talk a lot about walkability. Um, I just, uh, that term is one; it's overused, but it's the best way to describe what I'm talking about. It, it comes from everything, f- uh, starting where cars stop before the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's something I think I, that I pay attention to, and no vehicle does. Yeah, I was, com- I was, well, I, I was complaining to you last week or the week before. I think one of the most widely broken laws in this community is cars going through a crosswalk while people are still in the crosswalk. Uh, yeah. I mean, how big a hurry do you have to be to not let, let this the most vulnerable road user get across the street before you go? It's, yeah. it, it's highly irritating. I can't tell you how many dirty looks I've shot or intentionally just slowed down and like just look. I mean, I almost use my body as a... I shouldn't do that, right? I put myself in harm's way. Right, right. But I, I, I look at... I, mean, I just stop and look, right? It's like, what are you doing? I do the same thing when I cross the trail... When I, I'm on the Constitution Trail and I know I have the right-of-way because bicyclists are considered pedestrians once we get into the crosswalk, whether we're riding or walking. Um, I'll get... I'll, I'll go halfway across a 
a crosswalk and guilt the other side, guilt the oncoming traffic to stop for me so I can continue to cross. Yeah. So if it's clear coming from the left, I'll go out and wait for the cars to go for the come from the right. And um, I had a I had a it was a white um, SUV, not a pickup truck. Close. And I was this was on Vernon near the old city hall, normal city hall. So I'm headed south in the trail. I get halfway across the street, and this. Um, white SUV had to actually swerve a little bit to get around me and her window was down I said thanks thanks a lot right mm -hmm. and I, I don't flip people off because it just escalates and she turned around leaned her head out the window wasn't looking at the road she's looking back at me and just spewed a whole line of obscenities it's yeah. like I'm just trying to cross the street here and you had an opportunity to follow the law and stop for me and didn't it irritated me, but yeah. at least I didn't say "f off," right? I right. said, "I said, thanks, thanks a lot," you know. Um, and she knew what I meant, um, and just went. I thought she was going to throw it into reverse and back up and give me a piece of her mind. So I'm glad she didn't. The the other. So I, I, I want to get back to. Sure, in, in, I want to get back to infrastructure yeah. too, because that was also part of the question. Not only culture and how people treat bicyclists, but they also the infrastructure. Just this, on that on that cultural point, though, like, do you feel like? What you're describing is the exception and not the rule, right? And like on the whole, people are considerate. Yes, I think, yes. I don't think anyone's really out to get bicyclists. I think there is. Now, if you look at the comments on other blogs, at the Panagraph, there are veiled threats there. It's like, well, I'm in a car, so the cyclist has to watch out. Well, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Right? So that concerns me as a road user on a bicycle. Yeah. Bicycle. It's like, is that what you really think? Is that, is that whatever you're doing and wherever you're going is more important than my safety? Then I have a problem with that. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And I run into more ignorance than I run into outright hostility. Yeah. All right. So then infrastructure, how do, how do we stack up? So I also drive. I don't, I, I do drive a car and the roads are in awful shape. The freeze thaw cycle here is just just batters the road. So if you're hitting potholes in a car, imagine what that's like on a bike. And the thing on a bike is you're trying to avoid those because you're going to bend a rim, pop the pop the tire off the rim. So we're not on a predictable straight line on those roads. That makes things more difficult. So as a bicyclist and a motorist, I would like to see more money put into resurfacing roads. Um, that said, I think we can also do a better job of creating safe spaces on those roads for bicyclists. I don't think that. Um, I think so. The town of Normal did has done enough work to get a bronze level status from the League of American Bicyclists as a bicycle friendly community. Um, four years later, they're still at bronze, right? So the the targets change a little bit. The League of American Bicyclists is emphasizing education. The town of Normal is not really their job. But if we had more miles of bike lane, if we had better spaces on the roads for bicycles, I think that the town of Normal's grade would have gone up. Um, and they, the League of American Bicyclists, contacted me and wanted my wanted my opinion on their application. And I kind of let the town have it. I just don't think I don't think they're doing enough. Um, and I think the city of Bloomington basically does. What they, um, I'm, I'm glad we have a bicycle plan, but um, right now, both communities, the only way we're going to see more pain on the street is when it comes, if the street's in the bicycle master plan and it's due for resurfacing, then it'll get the bike lane. There are ways to jumpstart that. Um, How? 
uh, applying for grants, safe routes to schools grants um, can help with that. Um, if it's if it's on a route to a school, then you can get money to. Um, that's how Champaign Urbana has done a lot of their bike lanes. Is they've used safe routes to school money, and and it sort of grows out from the schools. Sure. Is that um, a state or federal? It might be. I think it's state, but it might be federal dollars in it. Okay. So the the town, and you need to get school district buy-in on that. So um, the Friends of the Constitution Trail in the town of Normal have worked with Unit 5, and they have a safe routes to school grant. They we've sort of moved, They now have this opportunity and sort of um, um, mechanism now to maybe do more. Um, the first one is going to be a connection through um, Anderson Park mm-hmm. from a neighborhood sort of behind the tennis courts and over to Chittick's, and it's going to be off off street trail, right? Okay. I'm a big, pretty big proponent here that the next time we do safe routes to schools money, that we actually look at putting on street infrastructure that cyclists, all cyclists can use. Right. There is going to be an interesting section. There's going to be a contraflow bike lane, and I forget the name of the street, it's a little L-shaped street by the swimming pool there in Normal in Anderson Park. So the bike lane will be going one direction or two directions on a one-way street. Oh, wow. And that'll be the first time that we've seen anything like that in Bloomington Normal. Somebody is sure, is sure to say, are you crazy? Yeah, are you, yeah. Why are you doing this? But, you know, I was, I've was i been in Southern California recently. I was in Denver not too long ago. And if someone tells me in Bloomington Normal that the street is not safe enough to put a bike lane on it, I think they need to go to Denver and Southern California and look at the streets that bike lanes are on there. I, I, I was on a, when you count turn lanes, um, an eight-lane eight road that had bike lanes on it. I saw that and, in Destin, Florida. Yeah. Uh, so it can be done. And if it's a direct route that cyclists are going to be using anyway, and I saw other cyclists on this road in, in Southern California, then then protect the cyclist. And that was when we were discussing this on, uh, through the Planning Commission of adding the bike lanes in Washington. That was a big thing is there's bikes on this road now. Right. It's it's not like we, we're going to paint this and all of a sudden bikes somehow And somehow the opponents up. think that this is destroying democracy. <laughs> and I, I just don't understand how creating a safe space for bicyclists on that road um, is 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 hurting anyone else's rights. We still have cars on that road. It hasn't, to my observation, has not led to increased congestion. Emergency vehicles have an opportunity. I mean, if I'm if I'm in that bike lane and there's traffic and the emergency vehicle needs to come by, I can just go into a driveway and get off the road and let the cars get over and we can open up that road. I've seen it happen other places. So so, so I think with infrastructure, both the town of Normal and the city of Bloomington could do do more, do better. I don't think they're moving quickly enough. Mm -hmm. There is some things to be proud of, though. I mean, it is possible if you compare it to where I was in Indiana, like Terre Haute, Indiana, there really wasn't anything to speak of there. And no Constitution Trail. Yeah, no Constitution Trail. So, you know, it, it seems like we've got a, a ember that we can use to it's, hold up. I like to think, to. I like to think, so I don't like to think of the trail as a replacement for on-street bike infrastructure. I'd like to see it as a spine where mm-hmm. bicycle infrastructure can intersect with that, with the trail. And I think sometimes city officials or town of normal officials think, well, we've got the trail. Yeah. Well, the trail doesn't go everywhere and people have to get to the 
the trailing if they want to use it recreationally. So what are they going to do? Put their bikes in the, in the back of their car on a bike rack and drive to the trail so they can then bike on the trail? Or are we going to give them a way to actually bike on the street to get to the trail? And downtown Bloomington's a big a big thing for that, right? Like, uh, you, obviously the trail goes right through uptown, but it doesn't go through downtown. It comes it comes close. East West Leg comes close. It goes just south through the warehouse district. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, but um, if we but if we could find a way to connect the trail to downtown Bloomington to the you know Museum Square area. Well, there is a bike lane on Front Street mm-hmm. and and bike infrastructure and Sharrows, um, so you can get to downtown on. Yeah, of course you can get there, but it's not very friendly to get there. Like if I'm riding on the trail, how do I know? Right. Um, well, there's there is there's signage that says downtown this way. But, but wouldn't it be better if we had a painted bike path going from the from the trail to a downtown location? Sure. How about Jefferson Street? Let's make it a two-way street. No, that, that needs to happen. It, it's, it's ridiculous that Jefferson between Prairie and Clinton is a one-way street. Mm-hmm. It's a vestige of an old traffic plan from the 60s in downtown in downtown Bloomington. And it, it's it's still there because no one's taken the time to change it or cares enough to change it. So that's the most direct route for people that are biking to from mm-hmm. yeah, that's north. Right. I mean, if you want to get to downtown and you live somewhere northeast of downtown in Bloomington or Normal and you're taking the trail, people turn on Jefferson before they turn on Front because it's the most direct route. Mm-hmm. I see more bicycles on Farmer's Market Day yeah, of course. on Jefferson than I do on Front. And those bicyclists are technically breaking the law. They're going against. They're going against traffic. Mm-hmm. So need to change that, that. That should be changed. If we, if we only knew anybody who was in that was a ward four alderman that might be able to get that done before her terms up, <laughs> I should have a conversation. There you go. I mean, that's where it starts. So go back to the Washington bike lanes because I think that was a, that's an interesting example of something where there was definitely a lot of hubbub about that. Sure, but there didn't have to be. So, yeah, so, so and the reason, yeah, so the reason there was hubbub is that the city pushed the bike lanes off Washington with the organization that was developing the bicycle master plan and pushed uh, pushed it to Grove because my understanding is that the city of city officials wanted to make that an arterial. Through that Washington neighborhood, they wanted to increase speeds to 45 miles an hour and do a four-lane road. Um, I don't think if you ask the homeowners there, if they had a choice between a four-lane, 45-mile-an-hour road or a 30-mile-an-hour road that's two two lanes with bike lanes, I think most of them would say, I'll take the latter, not the former. Um, So... Had 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 Bright Illinois, who developed the bike plan, been able to follow the advice of the cyclists who provided input for that plan by telling Bright Illinois where do you bike and what streets do you use, then we wouldn't have had the hubbub. It would have eventually been painted when it was resurfaced, and it would have been well. It's in the plan. You had an opportunity to talk. You had an opportunity to res- to voice your opposition to this when the plan was being considered. Which is what, what normal does, right? What, like uh, that, that. That's what normal. Uh, we've had candidates on here for for council. They say we we write a plan and we stick to the plan. So right. it's in the plan. Plan the work, work the plan. You, there you go. Yeah. So and we've seen that. And to Bloomington's credit, they're doing they're doing that on Regency now. They've re- they've. Um, I, I attended a meeting. At, uh, it's been a year now, probably, um, at the post office in one of their meeting rooms to talk about the intersection of Washington and Regency Route Nine and Route Nine, okay. Route 9 and um, Regency Fair, Fairway. Mm-hmm. You know, with the streets yep. change, and and you got that frontage road there, so it's sort of a 
can cluster. I, yeah. Can, can I, this isn't broadcast. Can I use dirty words? <laughs> if you want to use can, a dirty words. It's a shit show. Okay. Right? <laughs> so um, the... Um, you won't hear me say this. You won't hear me use that word on WGLT. Right, right. So, um, but that's that, that's the most accurate way I can describe. If we offended that. our underwriter, we might have problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next time, next time I come on, I won't get I won't get the free pint. Um, so I went there, and um, a blog had sort of stirred up some controversy over the bike lanes on Regency. It's like this is your opportunity to come talk to the city officials about the bike lanes on Regency, and Public Works Director Jim Karch. I heard this conversation happen a couple of times. People walked up and said, I'm, I'm here to, I don't think Regency is a bad street to put bike lane. He said, I'm sorry, sir, we're not here to talk about that. We already have a bicycle master plan and we're following that plan. So once the streets resurface, we're going to put those, those bike lanes on. What we're here today to talk about is this intersection, how we can best address the problems at this intersection. And I thought, finally, it's yes. exactly what he should have said. It was like playbook and just shut these people down. Right. Right. They could have complained about the plan when the plan was being developed. So back to the hubbub on Washington, the problem, the reason there was hubbub is we had to go back and amend the bicycle master plan. We had to get the city council to amend it to include Washington. And that's where the problem came in. Yeah. Um, had they just included it as they should have from the very beginning, I don't think we would have had that hubbub. And then we had some homeowners got got really bent out of shape. And I think one of them actually followed through. They said, if you put bike lanes on the street, I'm going to sell my house. Yeah. And I think I think so. I think she I think this yeah. person sold their house, which is absurd. But the, ar- the arguments against it were just crazy. It's like, I'm afraid I'm going to back out and hit a bicyclist. Well, are you back at you're backing out. That was my line on the planning commission. I was serving on planning commission that time. And, and we I, I don't know who it was, but we had a commenter during the public hearing come up and say that I'm concerned that when I back out of my driveway, I'm going to hit a bicyclist. Bicyclist. And I waited till she was done because we're not supposed to address. But I, I, I asked Jim Karch to come up. And I said, Jim, just for the record, when you back out of your driveway, should you look behind you to make sure you don't hit anything? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, 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 because that was, I mean, and, and yes, it was a little bit of a smart-ass comment. But a lot of the comments we were hearing were, were, were things that I think they just weren't thought through well. Sure. Right? They, 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 it's like, yeah, so, and treat a bicyclist like you would an automobile and you don't have a problem. So I used, I used that. Since, since we had the opportunity to see what the people that opposed that bike lane would say to the planning commission, we also knew what they would say when it came before the city council. Right. So then my comments were able to sort of cut some of those comments off at the knees before they actually had an opportunity to speak. So which I said, the, which is the point of planning commission? So I said, so I actually used that as well. I said, if you can't back out of your driveway and not hit a not hit a bicyclist going 12 miles an hour, what in the world are you going to do with a car speeding right now because the lanes are too wide? Um, going 45 miles an hour. Or kids walking to school. Right. It was an absurd argument. So that was one of the arguments. What, what are some other arguments against the bike? It was the emergency uh, vehicle thing you emer- emer- Yeah, emergency vehicles. Uh, it didn't, I don't think it has, the, the fire department had no issues with that. So that's where you go, right? It's like, you have any issues with bike lanes? It's like, no. I mean, the road still is wide, right? Nothing says, I mean, the buses will go into the bike lane to pick up a passenger and come back out. It's a shared space. What the bike lanes do is is basically say, here's where the bicyclist is supposed to be. Here's where the cars are supposed to be. So we all sort of know, it makes the roadway more predictable, right? Yeah. So It's, it's, great, for, it's yeah. great for me with my kids because they're um, six and eight. And if they've got a white line and I say, stay on this side of that white line. They Double white it. line. It's a buffered bike lane yeah. on Washington, which but is if, nice. It's an extra 
yeah, if I just say stay close to the road, stay close to the side of the road, they're not old enough to safely do that. The, the other argument was, why aren't you on the sidewalk? Yeah. I get that all the time, right? So kids of a certain age probably should be riding their bikes on the sidewalk. But that puts you in the, that also limits the visibility of people backing out of their driveways. And when you're on the sidewalk, um, you are in a space, if you're an adult cyclist and you're going 12 miles an hour, motorists aren't expecting to aren't expecting to um, have something going that fast in that sure. in that part of the roadway. So you get a lot of uh, uh, right hooks. So a car will come into, uh, a bicycle will come off the sidewalk into the intersection, a car will turn in and hit them. And that's where the majority of car bicycle accidents, uh, crashes happen, is the car doesn't expect that bicycle in the middle of that intersection they so quickly. They always say if you're on the sidewalk on a bicycle, you should act like a pedestrian. Right, and the pedestrian should actually have the, has the right of way. And if you're on the road as a bicyclist, you should act like a vehicle. Right, right. So. and that, that's a great that's a great rule of yeah. thumb. Yeah. But I'm not going to ride a bicycle. I'm trying to get someplace. Yeah, I have every right to use that road as well, and I'm going to get to where I'm going more quickly and safely if I'm in the street, even if there are no bike lanes, than I would be on a sidewalk. And I, I'm more visible in the street. Isn't Uptown normal? Isn't it illegal to? That's the only place I believe it's illegal to not ride your bike on the sidewalk. So right. you can if you want to, yeah. but anyone who is riding their bike on the sidewalk should stop at every intersection and look to make sure there's not a car coming up behind them that's going to want to turn right. Right. I'm a, I have a, uh, what would you call it, kind of a sick fascination with conspiracy theories. Okay. And I've read up on Agenda 21 as well, too. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure you've heard that bandy yeah, about. Yeah. Um, I I would really like to talk to somebody who, who, like, takes it fully seriously because I do think that there is a portion of the population who does take that very seriously. So Agenda 21 is a U.N. resolution. Non-binding resolution, by the way. A non-binding resolution that recommended certain types of environmental sustainability efforts that could be implemented by governments and corporations of various sizes. And there's a conservative conspiracy theory that's grown up around that. That um, I know I'm telling you guys stuff you already yeah. know. Just explain to listeners. There's a there's a uh, theory that's grown up that lots of things that you see in planning and zoning and um, walkable cities is really driven by that. Um, like a UN agenda in order to try to, I think, take control of the so, country. So my, my response would be, so? Yeah. It's like, if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. It doesn't matter where it came from. Yeah. I mean, I think Agenda 21 also deals with community gardens, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, one of my favorites is like the remote uh, water sensors. Apparently those are used uh, so that the government can shut off everyone's water and also administer chemicals into our drinking water to sedate us and things like that. It reminds me of, of um, and I don't want to get into this discussion, but this is what it reminds me of, it is um, the New Green Deal, right? Where, where like not, people are saying, well, they want to take away our airplanes. Well, no. no. <laughs> we, we, we want to see that in a long-term situation, how can we be more um, environmentally friendly with our transportation? And if that eventually means getting rid of airplanes and still being able to do everything that airplanes allows us to do, then we win, right? But but no one's going to say stop, yeah. stop well, riding an airplane. Um, so there's another UN resolution that supersedes Agenda 21, and I forget what it's called. That goes even further. That people oh, just aren't. 2030, I think. Something that people so, people yeah. aren't even a, people aren't really sort of aware of aware of because they're still sort of fixated on Agenda 21, which I think is date is like it's. Like come to a close now. It's it's yeah. like it's dated it's and done its there's damage. something there's something yeah the new world order <laughs> damage one yeah. right damage in quotes yeah um, 
anyway, I, I just, so I just think I think of those. I think you know those people are going to believe what they want to believe. You don't have Agenda Twenty One people being generally being elected, or because they're sort of fringe, extreme candidates, and you don't have them uh, in municipal government. Yeah. So it's sort of moot. I think it's just important to realize that you know some of the people. But you look great in your tinfoil hat. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's really, really what's going I only on wear it when I'm recording, <laughs> so that they can't control what I say. <laughs> um, but no, it, I, I just think it's interesting to be aware of it because some of that cultural resentment or some of the resistance to doing infrastructure improvements can come from a pretty irrational, emotional place. Sometimes. Sure. Clearly, there's people who are. When I try to get down to like what's the emotional core of that, you know, it's it's fear of change. It's maybe like some regret that maybe past practices haven't worked out as we thought they would. Maybe uh, some feelings of betrayal that people were sold a bill of goods of, you know, the car is going to revolutionize everything and let's design everything around the car. And now all of a sudden it's in the 2000s and we're like, oh, no, wait. Actually, that's not working out too well. And so there's a lot of stuff that's mixed up with just like, you know, paint the white line on Washington Street. <laughs> right. So, you know, I think about I, I actually don't mind driving when I do. Um, but if I had a hour long commute and it was in a car and I had to be, deal with traffic, who can actually say they like driving? I just I don't understand this this love affair with the car. I think the car is a tool. I think it has the right in you know there's a right place and time for for using one. But I shouldn't be. Uh, I don't think anyone should think of their vehicle as their exclusive means of transportation. They ought to be looking at using the the mode that's the best. Yeah. If you're within a mile of uptown, why are you driving? Yeah, I, I mean just big... walk. It, it, you can get to the Constitution Trail from north and south. East and west isn't that hard. Walking or biking. I'm a 25 minute walk to um, uptown, and I'm a you know a eight minute bike ride. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why I would want to look for circle a block looking for parking or pay for parking in a parking garage when I can just bike and lock up to a bike rack directly in front of where I want to go. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I have that same perspective where I I view I view transportation extremely practically. What is the cheapest, most efficient? way I can get work. Those always, those always don't work. Those are, most efficient and cheapest are, aren't always, sure. they're not mutually sure. exclusive, right? So I, Best, I was, maybe. yeah, I was going to a party last night and I could have Ubered directly to the front door for Lyft for 10 bucks, but I decided to take public transportation um, because I'm an Illinois State University employee and ISU has a universal access agreement with Connect Transit, mm. I used my ID card and as a customer, I rode for free. It took me um, twice as long. So instead of, you know, um, 15 minutes to get there, it took me closer to 30 minutes to yeah. actually get to my destination. Plus there was a two-mile walk or two-block two walk. Yeah. Not a big deal. Pretty nice weather yesterday after it stopped raining. Some people um, just do tell me they just genuinely enjoy driving, though, and I find I don't, I don't. I don't think they do. I think if they you stop think to so. think about it, <laughs> they get angry at other motorists. They don't like being stuck in traffic. <laughs> and that would be on Veterans Parkway at drive time. So it's not a lot of traffic in this community. But I think they like some, being out. And I think if they I think they like being, I, I think they like being in control. Yeah. I think it's a control thing. I think they feel like this is their – that's why road rage happens, right? People are in their own little bubble that they think they can control. And when somebody else invades that space in some way, cuts you off, um, gives you a dirty look, you know, that would say, hey, wait a minute, this is my space. Yeah. You know, and I, so I think it's a control thing too. I think they like being in control. Yeah. I, I don't mind having somebody else drive me to downtown on a bus. 
and I see lots of interesting people on the bus. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a fun experience. All right, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a sponsor. Uh, so stick around. We're going to talk to Mike McCurdy more. Uh, maybe we'll get more into Connect Transit in the second half. I want to take a minute to thank our other sponsor, Play Normal Esports. Thank you to Play Normal Esports for giving us the studio to work out of. Please go check out the things that they have going on at playnormalesports.com. Something that I notice here is gaming parties and lock-ins. Are you looking for something different to do for your child's birthday? Well, the gaming parties are just what you need. Come and check it out. They can play games all night long. It's $35 for an online ticket or $50 for a walk-in. They get to stay and play games as much as they want from 8 p.m. until 7 a.m. while you get a good night's sleep, parent. All right, Mike, it was great talking bikes with you. Let's switch topics a little bit to your other passion, Connect Transit. So you're the chair of the Connect Transit Board. How long have you been involved with the Connect Transit Board? Since 2012, maybe. So um, you probably don't know all the history of when exactly it started and why, but can you just share what you know of the of the history of Connect Transit? So Connect Transit in its current form, the I think, has been around since 73 or 74. Um, it was formed um, by an intergovernmental agreement between the city of Bloomington and the town of Normal, I think, when the for-profit bus system was tanking. Um, and as I recall, I seem to recall hearing that General Motors had something to do with sort of they, they had the for-profit and then kind of starved it, I think. Uh, General Motors did that in a lot of communities, um, and I think that's where the problem ran into. But the community leaders at the time thought that public transportation was important enough that they took it over. Um, so that was 73 or 74, and it was the Bloomington Normal Public Transportation System. That's still our legal name, but we go by Connect Transit now. Okay. We, we, we branded and So it was a private entity before then? Yes, really? it was a for-profit okay. transit. Yeah. And I knew we used to have a trolley that went downtown, I remember, here in, in the state. Trolley, and they had the Inner Urban, which was a rail system that connected. You could go from Hayworth to close to Peoria yeah. on this sort of an early light rail system, electric. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of parts of the, like the east-west branch of the Constitution Trail that runs out to Route 9, yeah. far west, that's along the old interurban line. Okay. That's how a lot of rural... Um, People came into town to get to work, right? Yeah, and if you see old pictures on, on well, did it, well, I think it went down south to Decatur too. I think it did. I don't know how far north it went, but um, I, I don't know that. I'm sure there's a map online somebody could look at. It's a shame that we don't still have that. Um, if you look at old pictures of downtown Bloomington, or when they do construction work, you, they'll dig up tracks. Okay. They're, they're, they're still there. Yeah. So this isn't something where there wasn't a s- system in place, and then the. Um, City slash town decided, no, I mean, hey, let's build this big system up. No, a bunch of buses. It, it evolved over. I mean, there were horse-drawn trolleys too. You know, before the interurban. When did the rebranding take place with Connect? I should have had all these dates in front of me. I'm no, sorry. It's okay. it's, so it's it's been roughly so uh, five years. Okay. It was shortly after. That was one of the first things that Andrew Johnson, who was the general manager before Isaac Thorne, that was one of his big initiatives was to. What was what was the uh, just just a refresh? Like what was so his motive? It, so um, 
it was to sort of give the the transit system a face. I mean, it was a so the, the old logo of the connect of the Bloomington Normal Public it's Transit a bus driver, wasn't it? It was a bus driver. I remember it. It's like yeah. it was like a line, uh, like sort of a line drawing of a of a bus driver in a seat with a steering wheel in front. It's like, well, why are we focused on the driver, driver, <laughs> not the customer, right? <laughs> yeah. So we went through it. We went through th- through a process with. Um, Sort of like a strategic planning process, sort of a brainstorming session with uh, a consultant and um, Connect Transit. We settled on the word Connect pretty quickly because um, it's one of the few Connect Transit, Bloomington Normal's public transit system, is one of the few entities that serves both communities and is funded in part by both communities. Right. So we're connecting the communities. We're connecting people to where they need to go, um, and that was sort of an easy. I think I think it's good. Yeah, and I like the logo. Is you know it almost looks like a bus wheel, or it could you could say this is normal. That's Bloomington. If you look at the logo, um, the two sort of half circles. Right. Um, so when that when the rebranding happened. We, we, all the board members, I think, in at one point or another said, heard from people that said, hey, there's a transit system in town or there's a new transit system in town. It got okay. noticed, right? Uh, the Andrew Johnson, who was the former general manager, said that he'd seen uh, more attractive prison buses. <laughs> Our, ours were white with brown lettering, if I remember, brown and blue. I think at one time he switched to yeah. blue. Um, but yeah, they weren't a very attractive bus. I no, don't remember. It had a blue stripe down it and then a picture of the driver and it said BNPTS on it, which is like, what's that? What's that? Yeah, right? Right. It's like a pod BN. Who would name it? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, I think the rebranding really helped. Um, and then um, the, the nice thing with Andrew is that when I, so when I talked to, um, when I talked to Chris Coos about, some of my concerns about Town of Normal Mayor Chris Coos, when I talked to him some about my concerns about sustainable transportation, um, I was uh, concerned about technology and the routes and all this. And he just looked at me and said, I'm going to put you on the board. I said, all right, I'm good with that. He said, I said, is there an opening coming up? And he said, yeah. So I started going to the meetings before I was even smart, even appointed and kind of got the lay of the land. But the nice thing with Andrew is the things that were on my list I didn't have to push for. He was doing them anyway. Yeah. Um, rebranding, technology. So I can look. I, I can now look on my phone and see how far the bus is away, mm-hmm. and it eliminates rider anxiety. I don't. If I walk to the stop, you sometimes go. Have I missed it? Is right. it coming? Where is it? Right. And the most smart smartphone can alleviate all of that, which I think is really important for to build choice riders, choice ridership. Do most bus buses? Uh, is it still fifteen minutes on most routes, or is mm. it a half hour? And then so it, so we've hour? eliminated all. I think we've eliminated all hour long routes. So everything is a half hour. Okay. Um, the yellow that goes um, and it rides runs in Uptown is a fifteen minute peak service, so morning afternoon, and the green is fifteen minutes. All day, Monday through Friday, half hour on the weekends. And green is uptown to downtown. Green is uptown to downtown, which is the route I use the most. Yeah. Um, you said the term choice ridership. Can you explain to people what that means? So somebody who makes so there's transit people who are transit dependent. They don't have any other way to get around, and there are people that can make a conscious choice to use transit. I'm I'm somewhere in between because I suppose I'm, I'm I suppose I'm a choice rider. I could I could spend the money on Uber. I could afford that. I just don't want to. I'd rather spend my money on something else. Um, so like, what's like the strategy? Um, how is there some kind of target of how many of 
how many choice riders you'd want, or is that sort of what you're trying to appeal to in order to? Well, I think I think, well, I think if we appoint, I think if we appeal to choice riders, we're super serving transit dependent, which is also I think a mm-hmm. good thing. Um, so we are is somebody who can get in a car ever going to ride the bus if they go by a bus stop and it's a muddy hole with no bench all right so we have a better better bus stop campaign right now and what we're doing is um and i can't i don't have the numbers in front of me but we're doing a lot of we're, we're putting a lot of infrastructure and it depends on the on the on the ridership the boardings and people getting off the bus at, at the stop about what kind of infrastructure go there goes there. But at a minimum, it's going to be a, 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 cement, a cement pad with, um, you may have seen these, they have like two little seats and then a pole. It's a, a user-activated solar light, so they're not in the dark. A lot of times these streets are not well lit and the bus driver has a hard time seeing somebody standing there waiting for a bus. Um, sometimes it's just a pad and a bench. If it's a really well-used stop, then you'll get the full shelter. But, but so if somebody is, sees that there's a, a shelter near them and they can walk there and wait out of the elements, then you might get that person to maybe leave their car one day and try the bus. We don't have a specific sort of campaign aimed at choice riders. We're just trying to improve the system, and maybe that'll come later. Um, maybe the board should look at that. It's not a bad idea. Maybe staff should push for that to really focus on to see if we can get people out of their cars. That's a heavy lift, though. Yeah. I mean, people love their cars. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. yeah. But I think you're right. I think it comes down to convenience and convenience a lot um, and comfortabil- comfortability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've, rode, I've ridden the bus and left my car behind when it's easy. The smallest hurdle will change my mind. Sure. Right? <laughs> so I have a car. I don't need the bus. So if it's uh, – if I got to I, I, t- I think I talked about this on a separate podcast – how I, you know, where we, I live by Miller Park, uh, we record at Play Normal Esports. I was going to take the bus to the podcast one day, but as soon as I saw, well, I got to cross four lanes of traffic on Oakland uh, and make that final mile walk or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. It's, it's not the mile walk, it's the four lanes of traffic. Sure. <laughs> um, I know I'm going to have to walk, you know, a couple blocks one way or the other. So that's a separate issue, right? There is no pedestrian. We talked about Bike Blono earlier. It's a bicycle advocacy group. There is no pedestrian advocacy group in this community. Um, and there could be, probably should be, lots of sidewalk issues, lots of lots of access across um, streets that, yeah. that are that are basically barriers. It was a barrier to you writing. Sometimes it's a physical barrier. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda tie it all together from my recent trip. So I just got back from Washington DC. And being on the planning commission here in Bloomington, I noticed things that probably others wouldn't. And the thing I noticed right away was how many people were walking, biking, and uh, taking the bus <laughs> around Washington. And it was 35 to 43 degrees, somewhere in that range in the two days I was there. So, I mean, still a little chilly, but not freezing. But everybody was walking. Um, they had the, the bike shares on almost every corner. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe like the first hour is free or first half hour is free on those bike shares. So what that does is it allows people to take it to work and it doesn't cost them anything. You know, they ride the bike to work. Um, and I've been, I was told by someone out there that they actually ride it more in the winter than they do in the summer because in the summer they're all sweaty mm. in the bike. But those bike shares get used a lot in the wintertime uh, to get them to and from work for free. 
what's that, what's the benefit to the city? Because I'm sure they're subsidizing some of it. I haven't looked up the numbers. But it saves them a, a ton of money on infrastructure, right? You don't have all those roads or all those cars on the roads that you have to repair every year. And cleaner air. Yeah. I mean, they may be in a non-attainment zone where they, they have air quality issues. So the anything you can do to get somebody to not drive right. a single occupancy vehicle is uh, a good thing for that, for that metropolitan area. The other thing that's happening in D.C., I think, is that driving is being de-incentivized. So some of the toll roads during peak, like morning after afternoon rush hours, right. it might cost you $60, $70 to get on that road to get into the D.C. area. It's like, well, as soon as it's $120 round trip to drive my car and I can use transit, maybe subsidized by my company, yeah. you know, or just a pass that's... Well, the metro 40. is a whole other story in D.C., right? Like how you can take the metro right. uh, anywhere. But just, I mean, because I didn't really leave the city that much, but just being inside the city, the amount of movability for everybody that was there. And going back to what we talked on earlier, one of the, one of the other things I noticed was how, how much cars obeyed and were aware of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. They stopped before the crosswalks, before they took the right on red. You know, here we think it's our right, right on red. So, right. You know, we barely stop. Stop, right. And we take that right-hand turn without looking for pedestrians there. They were very aware of their surroundings, knowing that there were people walking, biking, um, See, scooters too. Sure. <laughs> Not to go too far into the weeds, but uh, the city of Bloomington added a right turn lane on Tawanda, just south of the intersection of Vernon and Tawanda. Okay. There by La Gondola and Jeffrey Allen's. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, um, I think it cost the city of Bloomington, the town, almost a million bucks to do that. Now, the the signals need to be upgraded. They were 40 years old. Um, My argument was that you didn't really need the turn lane, is that the the amount of traffic in the morning and the afternoon um, wasn't that bad. And if it backed up a little bit, so what? So what have they done? They've incentivized driving. That's right. Right? And what's going to happen? More people are going to drive. And what's going to happen is that turn lane is going to fill up again. It's called induced demand. And you have not really solved anything. What you've done is you've made the intersection longer for a pedestrian to cross. The, and it's more hazardous, I've found, on a bicycle, because I sometimes will bike to flingers, is that cars don't stop. When they have to, when they turn on red, they just they barely glance and go. And if I'm coming on a bike, that's that could be a that could be a life-ending event. I heard the analogy of these this this idea of widening the roads to make it easier being a short-term solution, as it's like the fat guy saying, "I'm hungry," so giving him more food. <laughs> right. Right. Instead, instead of has putting, it worked? Let's just look at Los Angeles. Or bigger pants. They right got, you know. 15 lanes of traffic going in two different directions, and it's bumper to bumper. The only way you can solve traffic problems is to get people out of their cars. You've got to either de-incentivize driving or make it so easy to use transit or mass transit or high-occupancy vehicle lanes, I think, is, are a good thing. You can carpool, mm-hmm. but driving in your car alone just seems like a waste of money and and, and fuel. And well, and it's, also, it's expensive up front to put extra lanes on, and then you also, that increases the maintenance cost, too. But they fill up. They just fill up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, back to the uh, beginnings of Connect Transit and, and, and me, um, so one of the... Um, major things that's happened to me is uh, happened to Connect Transit while I've been a board member was the comprehensive operational analysis and then the route restructure that came as a result of that in 2016. And at that time, what we did, what the system did was made a conscious decision to start focusing more on frequency and less on coverage routes. They're about 60-40 now. So you need coverage routes to feed people into the system, but we had a lot of coverage routes, routes that went places where very few people road where the the population wasn't very dense 
um, I mean, we had a bus go down GE Road um, that turned somewhere around the park. Was it? Uh, the no tour. Uh, yeah, it, uh, no, it went down GE Road, and then uh, what's the hotel out there? It turned on some dr- road before you got to the hotel. Was the, okay. the park park hotel? Yeah, all the yeah. way out by Tawanda Barnes. Yeah, went almost all the way oh, to Tawanda wow. Barnes. <laughs> the the homes literally face away from the road <laughs> on on the on the north side. Right, this is cul-de-sacs and three-car garages. I mean, we had a few employees that were working service jobs that were using that. It just didn't work. Right. right? So we've we've pulled. We have shrunk the footprint of the system a little bit, but at the same time. Uh, focusing on frequency, people will walk further for a bus that runs more frequent. And um, we've been able to increase our ridership. Um, this year, right now, we're up almost 9% over last year, while peer um, agencies, transit systems are down to flat. So it's, so. it's a pretty logical connection if you if you break it down a bit, frequency versus coverage. But um, can, you, can you just... Delve a little bit more. Why are those two things in tension with each other? Um, I'm sure, people haven't thought about. Sure. That. So, um, people want some people want the bus to go everywhere, right? And they think they that want it to be an Uber. Yeah, <laughs> and it's never going to be a taxi, right? Yeah. So, um, and the coverage routes are inherently less efficient. You're carrying more. You're carrying less people, but for the same cost of operating that bus. Um, so f- serving dense area, what I, what I said at a, at a recent meeting when we had a discussion about this is I think what we're doing is we're fishing where the fish are um, and uh, picking up passengers, uh, riders, customers, and um, serving them better with more frequency than we are running a bus over to the east side somewhere and picking up two people and bringing them back into the system. I mean, it just can't be – transit can never be everything to everyone. We have limited funds. So if the city of Bloomington or the town of Normal wants to, you know, increase those funds, we could look at maybe a couple of coverage routes. But at this point, we're going to continue to focus on, on, on frequent service that serves the, the the core core areas of the community. Yeah. So I think about like if let's see if like you have a place you got ten buses, you can have those buses cruise down every single road in that place, but then. If you're waiting at one of those stops, you're going to have to wait a long time. That's the we had uh, we had hour long routes. Yeah. So the the bus only came by once an hour. Yep. Can you imagine missing that bus? Yeah. I mean, it's screw it's going to screw up your whole day. Like, yeah. So then, and then the opposite extreme would be frequency, where like maybe you only have one route on one road, and it drives back. They all drive back and forth constantly, and you can get the bus at any minute you want, but then you can't get anywhere from it. So the, you have to balance those two things together. Sure, to to a certain to a certain extent. But you yeah. know what I like about the green which runs every 15 minutes, Monday through Friday, is I don't look at a bus schedule. Yeah. When I'm ready to go downtown, I walk to, I walk to Uptown Station. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done, I walk to Front Street and catch it back. I don't look at a schedule because I know if I've just missed it, it's going to be 15 minutes tops before it's back. What's it cost to ride a bus? It costs a dollar. A dollar? Yeah. And how does that compare to other metro areas around us? Um, we're, uh, again, I didn't bring numbers with me. Um, so I think Peoria is a little higher. I think Springfield's a little higher. Champaign-Urbana, I think, is a little higher. Um, I mean, a dollar's a great bargain. Um, it's, it costs, on average, $4. Connect Transit costs, it costs $4 per ride for Connect Transit to provide that ride. So the rider's picking up a quarter of it. Right. 
and you guys are in the talks of possibly raising that cost um, to a dollar twenty-five over the next. Oh yeah, dollar twenty-five, then eventually dollar fifty. I think so. Yeah, over uh, over several it's years, like twenty twenty-two. Right. It's, it's, like yeah. So we're going to take one vote to. I mean, and the the board could certainly say in three years we're not going to we're going to div- diverge from that schedule. Sure, we, yeah. we don't want to raise it that next step. But well, and we're actually have, voting on a, on a on a multi-year plan to raise it to a buck fifty. And you haven't raised it for several years, dozen years. So um, the has. To your knowledge, is it what, what's the closest community, if you could think of one, that offers free transit? Oh, um, <laughs> Charlottesville. Yeah. Or North, what, what, what uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Chapel Hill. <laughs> Chapel Hill, I think. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, very few, organiz- very few transit systems are free. Um, but fares are always, you know, one of the smallest portions of any transit system's budget. Yeah, yeah, you're not getting. So you're not you're not making a lot through the fare. It's a subsidized, it's a subsidized system. And and, and when I and let me point out here, airplanes, ra- passenger rail, and the roads you drive on are also, are also subsidized, right? So transportation transit is part of a integrated transportation network that is all subsidized. The ferry you take in Seattle to get from from one island to the next is subsidized. You're not paying the full cost to haul your car and your butt from one section of of the Seattle area to another one on a, on a ferry. It, yeah. it, it's subsidized. So, um, you know, unless until we make all toll roads, all roads toll roads, then. I'm not willing to raise rates on buses to make to have passengers pay the full cost. Right. There's some kind of target that you have for how much you'd expect to get from the municipal governments versus how much should come from rider fees. Mm. So we have there's a fare box recovery rate, and I forget what the benchmark is for that. Um, I think it should be. I think the fare box recovery should be like fifteen percent. I think that's a okay. That low. That, that's that. That's lo- that's it's that low, but that's a target. That's yeah. a that's sort of a, a system a, a transit benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, we're below that, um, so I think there's. Um, and the rest of that does that come from? So most of our money comes. Most of our money comes from the state. Okay. Six sixty five percent, I think, of our budget comes from the state. Then federal government. City of Bloomington, Town of Normal, contribute some. Okay. We are one of the few transit systems in the country that is not does not have taxing authority. We are not a transportation authority. Mm-hmm. We are not a transportation district. Do those state and federal funds come with any requirements? Uh, yeah, a lot, but I couldn't tell you what all they are. I mean, sometimes the money has to be spent in a certain window. We can only spend the money on certain things. Okay. As far as like, um, like I've heard the certain sizes of buses are required is Mm-mm. that no okay no i don't think there's any requirement for us to buy a certain size bus based on the money we okay. i mean we've applied for grants that we've um have told them we're going to buy buses mm-hmm. uh, we're going to use that money to buy buses okay. but i don't know i think if we had said we're going to use 30 foot buses instead of 40 foot buses i don't think it would have altered right. the the results of us getting the grant so those requirements aren't as much operational requirements as like they don't say you have to serve like some portion of the population if you're going to get this federal money or like uh, put restrictions on like how the bus system runs yeah um, no not not that I'm aware of Uh, I don't think I don't think I mean I think they're going to want to I think if we were to submit a grant application that showed 
steep ridership decline and a system that wasn't apparently very valued because there weren't a lot of people using it, that would hinder us actually getting the grant. We have the opposite, right, situation where we have increasing ridership. Mm -hmm. We have more more people getting on and off the bus. Um, It sounded like you were leading up to the why are the buses so big question. That's what it sounded like. I I sounded like where you were going. No, I I was just, uh, I was reading some stuff this morning about... um, how some towns are structured, and it, I've also just heard rumors about the size of buses and uh, strings being attached by different things. Um, so I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, that, that these are questions that uh, staff would be able to answer okay. maybe a little bit better than I would yeah, be able to. That's fine. You want to cover that? Why the why the buses are are so big? Because we just like to waste taxpayer dollars. That's, that's what I heard. Yeah, I mean that's that's the reason why we're just throwing. In fact, basically what we do is we put dollar bills into the gas tank and they actually run on paper money. Yeah. All right. I think we got. We need <laughs> so no, the buses. So the buses. <laughs> the buses. The buses are standardized at forty feet because we have up to sixty boardings an hour on some of our routes, and the bus that is the pink bus today will be the green bus tomorrow and could be the yellow the next day after that or on Redbird Express. So the buses have to serve, and they move the buses around from route to route because if you keep the same bus on the same route day in, day out, it's going to wear out quicker. So they rotate the buses around to different different uh, colored routes and they um, and because they have to accommodate a certain number of passengers and they all sort of have to be the same size because you might be having that bus on a really busy route one day, but on a coverage route the next. So that's that's one of the reasons. A 40-foot ba- bus lasts longer than a 30-foot bus, too. Okay. It's, it's built a little better. Um, and we'll get a, we'll get a, I forget the percentage, but we spend X percent more to get a higher percentage life out of that bus. And I would think, too, if you have a pretty uniform fleet, then maintenance is easier Parts yes. is easier. If one bus goes down, that can be spare parts for all the rest of the buses right. or something like that. Yeah, so the, the, that that kind of thing. That, that that thing does that sort of thing does come into yeah. play. Now, what we've been accused of is that oh, we you you not you're not going into parking lots now because your buses are too big. It's like no, we the board at staff's recommendation adopted a policy to not go into parking lots Safety and right. had nothing to do with the size of the buses. Well, the buses are big anyway. A thirty foot bus is still a big bus. Yeah, yeah but I mean. Right? I mean, is, is yeah, it's a safety issue, issue, and it's a timing issue. Parking lots, you've driven in parking lots. It takes forever to get around, right? Yes. Have you been in a Walmart parking lot? I mean, people are, people are walking all over the place. There are cars. There are carts. It's, uh, it's like a video, bad video game for the, for the bus operator to try to navigate through there and keep, the system, and keep it on time. That had to be a huge win for the bus drivers when, when you changed your mind on that. I, I, I don't know for sure. I think some of them felt bad for the customers who, needed, who would be better off being dropped off at the front door because they have mobility issues. Okay. Um, but, but you have connect mobility there, too. We do, but that's more expensive. Yeah. So the the customer would have to pay more to, okay. u- to use that service. Um, so not going into parking lots is, helps us with our on-time performance, which is up, and it also keeps, I think, everyone more safe. It, it you know, so while one person's getting dropped off at the front door of Kroger, somebody else is down the line waiting for that bus to navigate that parking lot and wants to get out of the cold and the elements to get to their destination. Right. So it's it, the whole, I mean, it's all about trade-offs, you know. So before we turn on the mics, you mentioned that there were some rate, some route revisions that mm-hmm. are coming up soon. Can you talk a little bit about how that process goes to try to determine how you might change routes and then, um, you know, what we... What we might see there. So this, so the Olive Route is the one we're talking about, and it runs from Orlando 
Northbrook Estates, which is in northwest Normal, and it runs sort of uh, over to the uh, town of Normal, the, the Walmart that's in the town of Normal. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the map for Connect Transit. So as we're talking, if that helps you to pull it up and look at some of the things we're saying, right. that might be a nice visual aid for people. It's our least used route. It's our less, least efficient route, um, which means it costs us more to run that route. And it is also Orlando um, Northbrook Estates is also served by 15-minute peak service on the yellow. The bus stop for the olive is you can and the bus stop for the yellow you can see them throw a football to it right? you, you, practically yeah it's a three minute walk yeah. for an able bodied person now in the winter when no one clears the sidewalks and people are in the street or maybe do have some mobility issues three blocks can be a long ways um, but it it's more people are walking to the more frequent service than are using the olive. Can't be everything to all people. We cannot. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to save some money if the board decides to eliminate the olive. And then some of those revenue hours will be plowed into more frequency on the red and the lime. So the red from uptown to Walmart will go to 15-minute service in the morning and afternoon. And the lime from downtown Bloomington to uh, the west side Walmart will go to 15-minute service at peak times, morning and afternoon. Yeah. And, so the, what, and what what, what's been proven in this community and other communities is that frequency builds ridership. And if we want to be a valuable system to people in this community, it has to be convenient. And if it's 15-minute service, you don't have to think about it, you just get on the bus and go, that's the best thing. Yeah, the red is also the one that goes to Eastland Mall and... Um, OSF, and then right in front of State Farm Corporate, too. It, it, it does. So there's going to be a red express is what they're going to call it. So oh, okay. it, so there'll be the, the regular red, and you would get on that one and continue to Eastland, OSF, and circle back around to downtown Bloomington. Or yeah. if you just wanted to go to Walmart, then there would be the red express, and you would you would use that, okay. and that would be every 15 minutes. That's a pretty popular route for people. Then. Yeah, red is, red is up there. Lime is huge. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense, too, because you're connecting people in Uptown Normal to... You know, Walmart, which is a place that they want to uh, shop, and you've got that um, that connection priority there. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it takes the, it's going to take them a little longer to take the yellow to Uptown and then connect to the red, but the red will be every fifteen minutes, and the yellow is fifteen minute peak service as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a board vote. We'll see how the board um, ends up on this. Um, so what I'm hearing is, you look at ridership data, you look at routes that maybe could be collapsed into the same one and then looking at balancing that revenue across the other routes you can either well, i guess it comes back to the same thing we were talking about of frequency versus coverage right so do you want to reduce your coverage to increase your frequency or do you want to cover some other area and uh, sounds like an interesting puzzle to mull over it it is and um I would have more problems with this proposal if we were actually eliminating service from Orlando Northbrook Estates. We're not. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have access to a more frequent yellow yeah. than the olive than the olive is. Um, and the issue with the olive is too is that you get ridership at Orlando Northbrook and you get ridership at Walmart and virtually I'm speaking hyperbolically here virtually nothing in between. Yeah. You know, so what is that who is that actually serving? 
when you talk about right it's mass transit yeah, right so you have to serve you have to serve the masses pretty much just runs parallel to red a little bit north of red so yeah interesting so i know one of the other changes coming up on with connect um that i've heard about is this app um that you can prepay prepay oh sure some, so some yeah so ride. so yeah so the, one of the things that with the with the fare increase that i was pretty strongly opinionated about was that if we were going to raise fares we needed to make sure that people that could least afford to ride got the full benefit of a the of a monthly pass um there are people in this community that can afford a dollar or two at a time, but can't put together the 34, soon to be $36 a month for a monthly pass. If they buy the monthly pass, um, once they've once they've used the, the first $36 in that month for transit, they then can, t- continue, can continue to ride for free. So we're going to do a mobile ticketing app. Um, we'd require a smartphone. Um, I don't know what the smartphone penetration rate is in this community or by income, but we're also going to see if we can work with some social service agencies to make sure people who don't have smartphones might be able to get one. Um, and then it would allow them to, instead of putting that $36 up front, it would be a dollar at a time and then be capped at $36. So once they hit that hit that point, then they just ride for free after that. Um but what that also allows to happen is, and I've talked to you, I know, Mike, and I've talked to a couple other people at, on Connect Board about this, is me being a casual writer or, or what you call us a choice writer. Um, I don't often have cash with me, and I, it's all about convenience with me, right? So what it allows me to do is I can preload, you know, 15, 20 bucks on this app and then just scan or show on my smartphone as I get on the bus, and it just subtracts it right. from that account. Um, what that also, I think, allows, uh, that's going to be a benefit of that, is it will allow me as a choice rider to bring on more choice riders. Because if I'm going somewhere with a friend who's never rode the bus, and I say, it's okay, I got you, and I just show on my phone twice or scan it twice and then pay for them, right, right. Um, now I'm letting someone new experience that ride from downtown to uptown on the green or wherever we're sure. going, right? So I think that's going to be a huge benefit to help increase the... Um, convenience. Sure. And, and, you know, you talked about free transit um, um, earlier, and um, it would basically cost this community between $1.3 and $1.5 million to make transit free for everyone. In addition or on? Uh, in addition to what they're already well, giving right, us. Right. Okay. So an additional $1.3 to $1.5 million, anyone can get on the bus and ride it for free. That's how uh, much that lane costs on Tawanda, right? Uh, it, yeah, almost. You're right. Yeah, and those are the kinds of trade-offs that, that, that this community should think about. That's a great point. Um, so, yeah, for you could have said, no, we're not going to put that money into roads. We're going to make transit free for everybody. Maybe five people that would have been in that turn lane are going to be on the bus now, right? So, um, And not just that turn lane that we spent. That's one turn lane that we spent a million dollars on. Right. How, how, how often do we do that in both communities every single year? Right. Right. So, yeah, that's the kind of discussions that I think need to happen. Yeah. And so it... Um, that kind of stuff sort of makes me go. It really it aggravates me when I when I think about that. So you're a founding board member and vice president, current vice president of Bike Blono. You're mm-hmm. the chair of Connect Transit. So those are two big things that I think and we you know when we look at how we want our city to look transportation wise over the next twenty or thirty years are going to be re- very relevant. So my question to you is if you could uh, you know rub the genie's lamp and and create this perfect city or community mm-hmm. for. All parts of transportation, pedestrians, bicyclists, 
mass transit users, people in cars. What's that look like? What would you need from the cities to make that happen? Is free transit part of that, or do you think now, you know, if we can help it, let's not do that? I think they need to have buy-in. Like, what what's it look like to you? So, you know, what is Normal's theme in their comprehensive plan? Complete, connected, and compact. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think of it. Is to be. You need to be uh, connected and compact. Compact development serves transit's needs. Mm-hmm. Density is where is how transit works. Um, I had a candidate not too long ago suggest that we do test rides uh, of a bus out to the Grove subdivision. Um, they thought that once they got on the bus that they would then use the bus, and we could just run it out there in the morning and the afternoon. It's like, so that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, because we know that transit is is successful when it's frequent. So just one-time shot in the morning, one-time shot in the afternoon, it's not gonna. It's not gonna serve that community, and and you know there's three car garages. Well, yeah, the Grove was developed for car ridership. Yeah, it was. It's a yeah. It's a car ce- car centric development. I don't even know. I, I guess you can. Can you even walk from the residential areas to the school over there? I yeah, I think they put. They, I think they put a. Well, yes, they they. Got, that's another safe routes to schools. Uh, expenditure is that they built a oh, that that non-contiguous there, right? cons- yeah. section of the Constitution Trail out there so people could actually walk yeah. walk to the school. An afterthought, right? It's mm-hmm. like, we're going to build all these houses and we're going to build a school, but we're not going to talk about how we how we can get from one to the other without driving, yeah. even though the backyards of some of these houses back up against the school property. <laughs> Um, and that's the problem with a lot of transportation de- um, or community de- communities as they develop is that transit, bikes, all that is sort of an afterthought. Um, Illinois State University is, um, has uh, uh, issued an RFP uh, for a 1,200-unit housing development for their students on university land or land that maybe the developer would provide. Um, I saw that, and the first thing I did was emailed Isaac and said, has anyone contacted you from ISU about whether or not transit's going to be part of this uh, development, or are they thinking about it? And he said, first time I'm hearing about it. So, uh, and, yeah. and so is that the way it ought to work in the community, or should, or should the RFP maybe indicate that it has to be transit-friendly? You're going to have 1,200 students. Let's say, let's say that the developer uh, wants to put it on ISU, old ISU farmland on Gregory. Mm-hmm. But we only go so far on Gregory before we hang before we hang a uh, hang south and and the lime goes a different direction. So I think that should be a conversation, and I 100 percent agree with you there. But there's also routes change, right? I mean, outside of like the Green Line and, and a couple of the mainstays, the, you see those routes change a lot. So uh, coming, uh, they don't change a lot. They, well, there's tweaks. They, there's they tweak, There's some tweaks. So we've had people come to plan developers come to our planning commission before and look at like things like retirement homes as one example, um, where it's kind of the same. Thing. It's the the mobility is an afterthought, mm-hmm. right? Like this is a plot of land that we want to build this retirement community on. And that question with buses always gets raised with retirement community because these are some of the people that need it the most. Um, and you know they don't have the vehicles that are there, and the bus stop is three miles down the road. Um, so Isaac is wor- Isaac is actually working. Uh, our general manager Isaac Thorne is actually working on. And I forget what he calls it, or but he's he's working on a plan that he can give to real estate developers, um, city planners, and say these these are going to be reliable transportation corridors. Yeah. You know, I hate to say forever, but yeah, for the foreseeable future, right? Um, we may divert a block here, a block there, but I don't see the the green, lime, red. Um, some of the uptown, uh, some of the north south traffic north of uptown with the yellow. Right. Um, 
changing much. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think that when somebody is looking to put a um, uh, retirement home or um, some sort of medical facility, they need to look school. school yeah. They should look at transit to see where transit is now and have a conversation with transit rather than saying, hey, we've built this $30 million development. Can you run a bus out there? Because that's not the way it works. Right. Um, we had a conversation not too long ago with um, um, somebody associated with the development of the new eye care center mm-hmm. on the on the east side. Over by the airport. Yeah, over by the airport, um, which is already served by the um, TAN, and they um, wanted to know what we could do in terms of bringing a bus to them or closer to them. It's like, well... You're just 600 yards away from the bus. Yeah, it's right next to them. Yeah, you're just 600 (laughs) yards away, and we're not going to make any changes. Mm -hmm. You know, but it was an afterthought, obviously an afterthought, right? Right. Somebody said, oh, we should call transit to see see what's going on there, right? So um, I think, yes, bus routes do change, but I think that um, I think they are, with this next change, the olive, I think you're going to see some stability and and sort of see those routes solidify. I have have one last question for you, then we're going to start to wrap this up. Um, one of the needs that's been talked about a lot, and I just want to hear your opinion on, is a downtown transfer center. Mm. Um, currently, it's served on Front Street, um, or, the, or not, or, or not or served. Not served is exactly what I was going to say. Um, I hear that anywhere from fifteen to eighteen hundred people get on and off the buses at that location. Not all the buses can physically fit on Front Street. Um, and then my other complaint that I always throw out is it really does damage the infrastructure on Front Street mm. um, over time and very quickly. So where are you at with a new transfer center? Um, where's it, what, what things have to come together to make that happen? Um, tell me, tell, give me so we are very close to having um, money from IDOT to do what the federal government requires us to do for any grants, which is alternative site analysis. So we're, we're going to look at four or five different sites in and around downtown Bloomington that might serve as a location for a transfer center. Um, I suspect, um, I have my suspicions where the transfer center might end up, which is the largest parcel in downtown Bloomington, and it was targeted in the downtown task force, and that's the Market Street parking garage. Yeah, the task force was a pretty bright group, so uh, <laughs> I think that they did, uh, they did, did you, due diligence on that, too. Do, do you know people on that uh, task yeah, force? Yeah. <laughs> so um, you were, were you co-chair of that? No. No, okay. Just, just Amelia was chair. Okay, was. all right. So, um, and the Market Street parking garage has... Um, its own end-of-life issues. Is it, is it a sound facility right now? Yes. Does it need more money to keep it open for another five years or so? A million dollars would extend it seven years. Yeah. And then, as I understand it, there's no... After that, you can't put any more money into it to fix it anymore. It's just sort of done that's, at that point. That's what we were told, yeah. So, um, but anyway, we're going to look at, at four or five sites, and then we're going to do a big a big push for federal, federal grant dollars um, to bring a facility to downtown Bloomington. Um, and I think we need to... What's, I, this, I, what's this facility? Is it, are we talking like Uptown Normal has... I would love to see an Uptown station in downtown Bloomington. Obviously, something we like have that. trains or anything, so it would probably be a little smaller. But, yeah. But it could still... It could be taxis. It could be Greyhound. If we have a space for it, it could be uh, the motor coach over the highway, motor coaches like Greyhound and Trailways, that kind of thing. Um, it could be a transportation hub. Yeah. Um, you're right. Wouldn't, or, or, wouldn't be wouldn't be trains. Or it could have private development in there too. Right, public private partnership or a public public partnership, um, and and see if we can 
you know, transit is already an economic driver in this community. People used to get to work, to and then they use transit to go spend the money. They make it work, um, and I think that um, we've seen some transit-oriented development in Uptown Normal that's been successful. Um, uh, people that are living right next door to uh, a transit system and they use it. Um, so. Um, I think you could have housing in that facility. I think you could have retail on the on the ground floor of some sort. Um, the post office, I think, is important to retain in that location if we were to go there. Right. right. Um, these are all a lot of ifs, um, but I think that any grants we apply for will look will be more successfully will be more successful looked upon more favorably if we have a strong partnership mm-hmm. and. Um, not to go over ground that's been covered or to open up old wounds. That's why I thought the library was attractive. I thought thought they would be a great partner to apply for those federal dollars. And we could actually maybe, uh, both of us, uh, meet our our needs. Um, That didn't happen in the end. I think the library is off the table. I'm not willing to risk any political capital to try to open that back up again. Um, I think that that conversation is dead and the library is going to stay where it is and maybe expand on site. Good good for them. I think they missed it. Personally, I think they missed an opportunity. I agree. Um, but it is what it is, and, and transit's going to move on, and, we're, and we need to serve our customers. It, if, if you have to put a cooling bus or a warming bus during extreme temperature events in downtown Bloomington so the customers have a place to recover from and be protected from those temperatures, then you're, you've just admitted, I think, up front that what we have isn't it isn't adequate, yeah. So I think we're not. I think we're doing a huge disservice to our customers, especially when you look at the quality of Uptown Station and what we have in Downtown Bloomington. Downtown Bloomington is, is isn't a transfer center. It's a it's sort of a it's hub. A it's a hub. Yeah, it's a street. So so just to uh, go back and look at the timeline, we're wait, we're going to hopefully get some IDOT money to do this study to look at the site. IDOT money is on its way to do a site analysis yeah. to get Market Street possibly one of those locations. Probably right. you know, we, we have a we have a commitment more. letter from the City of Bloomington that that sort of gives us a permission to look at some city owned land, and also um, we are talking with some private pri- private landowners. Once we have that site analysis done, I'm assuming that's when you're going to start looking at partners, whether they be public or private or whoever, to kind of go in with this to then apply for some federal yeah, and, grants. And, and, and probably get more detailed sort of plans so people can envision what it would look like. Yeah. Um, so on this particular plot of land, this is what this facility might look like. Sure. And, you know. And, and just to throw this in there, too, this is this would also be in conjunction with helping to revitalize downtown Bloomington. I think so. I mean, so... It it is it it was the, I think this still meets the tier one catalyst project in uh, suggestion in the downtown task force. I think it? it certainly could. Yeah. I mean, if we had retail on the ground floor and housing up top and depending transit on the partnerships, right? Yeah, depending on the partnerships, we might still be able to accomplish what the downtown task force sort of um, thought should happen. I hope we can get a few of those other task force things done before this, like you know, garbage and recycle. But <laughs> we'll, we'll still work on it. So and I think let me just say one other thing about this: if Let's just say let's just say that Market Street parking garage is where this is happening. We certainly need to think. Okay, well, where are the people that are use, utilizing that for parking now going to go? I think we need to figure that that out as well, for, and, and fairly quickly. So there's a mode of development of doing you know major multi million dollar development. Um, you know if that doesn't work out, if the federal or private funds aren't there, is there a way to improve the situation? Like gradually, like is there a next step that could be taken on that site to make it better? That wouldn't be 
you know, $30 million or whatever. So I, 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 we're looking at, so I think with the development we're looking at is probably going to be 12 to $18 million. Mm-hmm. Um, to take a step I, yeah, towards that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have the most immediate need, I guess. Shelter. I'm asking. Shelter. Get, get out of the elements, restrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, people can use the restroom in the health department uh, building, but that's not ours. Yeah. Restrooms know. downtown would be awesome. Yeah. Um, you could actually look at maybe um, going out on a limb and providing showers for people who need showers. Mm, yeah. You know? So, I mean, there is a homeless problem downtown. Um, it's not going to go away, so let's help them. Yeah. Um, that This facility might be able to, to accomplish some of that. Um, but I, I'm fairly confident with what I hear on the federal level in terms of, an, of infrastructure spending and what I'm hearing on the state level about Governor Pritzker's desire to um, invest more in the state, that there will be some significant dollars available. And I think that if we have the right project, the right partners, um, that we'll be able to secure some of that funding. Mm-hmm. Not guaranteed, um, but I think we have a really good, sh- really good shot at it. All right. Well, Mike, we've been talking for a while now, so I think it's time to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want everybody to know about either Bike Blown or maybe hit, uh, talk about their website or Facebook? Sure. So, so I would, if you have any questions about riding the bus, you can call them. You can call Connect Transit, and they will just tell you how to get around. So if you can't figure it out on the website, give them a call. But if you, if you work or live in downtown Bloomington and want to get to Uptown, try the bus. Just try it. Walk, catch the green. It's $1. It's $1. For now, could go to dollar twenty-five. Yeah. So ride it while it's a dollar. If you like it, then maybe you'll be willing to pay the buck twenty-five later, and go to Uptown. You don't have it'll drop you up at Uptown Station. So if you live or, live or work in downtown Bloomington, you want to grab a beer at Medici, use the bus. Right, you don't have to worry about parking when you're done. You can take the bus back. Mm-hmm. It's it's super convenient. So just try it, I guess. Any questions about um, biking, you can certainly get a hold of us through uh, the Bike Blono Facebook page. is probably the easiest, and that's facebook.com slash bikeblono. Okay. Very good. So we're going to wrap up. Mike, we appreciate you coming on. We know you're a busy guy, so it's... Uh, I had fun. Yeah. We had a lot of fun talking to you, talking about transit and biking and all that fun stuff. So we appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right, we want to make sure we thank our sponsors one last time. Play Normal Esports, located at 802 South Eldorado Road in Bloomington. Make sure to check them out for their video game leagues. They got Apex Legends, gaming parties, lock ins. They got a spring break bash coming up March 25th through March 29th. Find out all that information at playnormalesports.com. And also, thank you to Little Beaver Brewery. They got some interesting stuff in mind. Their business is doing great. They're looking at ways to expand and further develop that area. So get over there and see it, and you can say you were one of the people that supported them on their way up. And And beer. And beer. There's also beer there. (laughs) All right. Are we done, Justin? Yeah, let's be done. Yeah, I got, they threw me under the bus, or I'm going to throw them under the bus. It's like I'm I'm tired of that phrase. I want let's come up with a new phrase. It's, it's not a good phrase, especially as a tra- sustainable transportation advocate. Yeah. I I'd like to see us come up with a new. Throw them under the Tahoe. Uh, maybe, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and another thing, I don't know if this is outside, if this is just a State Farm thing, but a lot of times when we're talking about secession planning at work, people will say like, "Well, what if so and so got hit by a bus?" Bus, exactly, right? And like, we, we were talking about somebody in that regard 
a lot. And finally, she just raised her hand, like, "Can we just say, like, if I get another job?" Yeah, exactly. Like, can <laughs> exactly. Can we can we stop using this whole? Can I stop being killed, please? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> got, got hit by got hit by a bus. We, actually, we find ourselves using that in in, in meetings when we're talking about Andrew leaving and the succession planning for uh, Connect Transit's leadership, we were saying, well, what happens if, you know, who's working under Isaac in case Isaac gets hit by a bus? I mean, it actually, yeah. it, it happens It happens there, too, and I kind of I cringe every time I... Yeah. So, think, I, th- so I think... You should know where the buses are. Uh, right. I think right. if that happens, they're not very right. good so, job. Um, I think a great way for me to go out would be sort of just, if, if, if it's time, if it's my time, mm-hmm. is that I get hit by a bus on my bike. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that would be perfect. I'd feel bad for the bus operator. Right. You know, but I think it's like, can you imagine the headlines yeah. in the Panagraph and on WGLT? <laughs> Sustainable transportation advocate and bis- daily bicycle rider and Connect Transit board chair killed while riding his bike when hit by a bus. It's like it's like it's just it's like a perfect storm. Stars aligned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Did you start? Did you start rolling tape on this again? I did. It's gonna be our <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good. All right. To put a funny part at the end. All right. 